Jeff, glad you guys are here. I uh, hope that you've enjoyed your Halloween parties and stuff. I know I have enjoyed mine. Let me tell you, nothing gets crazy as walking your little five and two-year-olds around a street with a bunch of other five and two-year-olds. It's a madhouse. It's nuts. And then you have like dads dressed in like super scary like ghoul masks and stuff. And the kids are like, whoa. And I'm like, no, no, it's not real. It's not real because they don't know yet. It's like, cool it, dads. All right. So, um, yeah, RUF is a place where you belong no matter who you are, what you believe. Whether you're convinced about Jesus, totally unconvinced, on the fence, it's a spot for you. We're here for Jesus to hear how he reveals himself in his words. So glad you're here. Welcome. My name is Willis, not Daryl. That's my alter ego with the wig. I'm Willis. I'm the campus minister. Uh, the one thing I want you to know about me is that I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me. I love him. He loves me. He loves you. And that changes things. It changes everything. And so tonight, we're going to look at this best chapter in the Bible, arguably Romans 8. This is our third sermon on this one chapter, Romans 8, because it's so rich. I could have, got, I could have done a dozen. People preach a whole sermon series on a, for a whole year on Romans 8. We're trying to pack it in to three sermons. So there's so much more there. Go home and read Romans 8. You will love it. Uh, but I want to tee this up by talking about this thing I used to do as um, a climbing guide when I was an outdoor guide. Um, let's say you want to take a group of people climbing on like a cliff. And um, there's just a normal cliff with no bolts or things that are already in it making it safe. But you have the rope and the carabiners and the pieces of hardware, the harnesses, all this stuff. And you know about your group that's coming to climb. You know how good they are at climbing, how strong they are, how scared they're probably going to be or not. And so you kind of can set up the perfect route for them. You may build an anchor up at the top of the wall. You've got your nice, safe climbing rope. You have the harness that's going to be the right size. You know how to anticipate dangers and hazards. You know how to look for rocks that might fall off the wall and hurt somebody. You think about all these things, and you can make a safe system. So the person can have an awesome experience. Climb a, climb a cliff. Feel very accomplished. And this picture of the guide who's setting up and kind of understands how to make it safe so the person can just climb freely and enjoy is something like what we see God doing in our passage. God has done something like this for us, for all of us. His care for us is not just emotional, not just a feeling. It's strong, it's active, it's effective for us to make us safe. So let's see that in this passage that we see here, Romans 8. I'm doing a 26 through 30, and then there's a little section that I'm skipping. It's not that it's not important, it's just it's kind of in line with the rest of the passage, and then we're going to pick it back up in verse 38 down to 39. So here we go, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So where are we going tonight? Our intercessor, the golden chain, and a different kind of love. Our intercessor, the golden chain, and a different kind of love. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into this just beautiful, so rich passage, I ask Jesus that you would be working on our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we would not just walk out of here with information, but that we'd be changed by the truth about you, that our hearts would be filled with hope, with a sense of our belovedness in you and our safety amidst everything that we're going through in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, point one, our intercessor. Okay, so verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this is saying, we have this weakness, and it's that we don't know what to pray for. Do I pray for like what I'm stressed about today? The felt needs of the moment? Uh, needs that the Bible says that I have, but I don't feel them? Do I pray for those? Do I ask God to fix what we are or make me into what I want to be? Do I ask Him to take away what's hurting or give me what would help me? Can I pray for my sports team to win? Is that off limits? Can I like ask that I get a good grade on this test? We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. This is the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word for intercede here is hyperentenkano. Okay, the only time this word is used in the entire Bible, hyperentenkano. And when it says that the Spirit intercedes later in the verse, it uses that word intercedes twice. When it says it later in the verse, it just uses entenkano, just that last part without the hyper. So that's the base word. And entenkano, the base word, it means to make an appeal or a petition on behalf of somebody else. It's the word in Acts 25 that's used when these people, they like totally hate Paul. And so they go to the Roman governor who's been set up by the Caesar over this area, one of the descendants of King Herod, and they're like, dude, kill this guy, Paul. They make an appeal to put him to death. It's a pretty intense appeal. But the Spirit's appeal is even more compelling and heartfelt because he hyper-intercedes for us. Hyper-intencano. He hyper-appeals. A Greek reader might have understood something like this saying, he goes above and beyond as he appeals for us. He intercedes for us, it says, with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever prayed so hard that you groaned? Maybe like a really good friend was in the hospital. You're just praying there like, Lord, please. Uh. Like, Have you felt that where you can feel the emotion and it, it's, it's too much to give words to? You just have to sit there and groan. That's, that's what's being said here. It's how the Holy Spirit prays for you. And the even better thing about than that is he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When it says saints, know that Paul's using that word here just to talk about normal Christians like us. There's reasons I could, we could go into if you have questions about that. But when the Holy Spirit prays for us, he prays for us according to the will of God, which is a major advantage, right? Because like half the time we pray, like we have no idea what we actually need, what would actually be good for us. We just pray for what we want. And that's okay. Jesus invites us to pray for Literally whatever we want, right? As long as it's not directly, obviously opposed to God's will. Big things, little things. But if God did everything that we asked him to, we'd actually be worse off. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Like, 
if you look back in your life, like I can look back at 33 years old and be like, man, I'm glad didn't God, God didn't give me that thing that I asked for. If he did, we'd be like actually worse off. While we make our half-hearted, uncertain, and off-base prayers, the Holy Spirit is praying for us with deep, heartfelt groans that God will hear and will answer with yes because those prayers are perfectly aligned with exactly what God wants to give us, with God's good and generous and gracious will. So let's actually pause on that right there. That concept that the Holy Spirit is praying for you and he's asking God to give you exactly what God wants to give you. The Holy Spirit doesn't have knees, right? Not a human, but we can picture him hitting his knees every day and hyper interceding, groaning for you and for your good. I find that comforting, you know, in my life. The stuff that I'm going through, it feels like often I'm alone. It's like, God, are you checking in on this? Like, you know what's going on down here? Do you not see this? And actually what this says is like the riding reality is that every moment, no matter what you're going through, the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, yeah, I see you. I know exactly what you need. I'm asking God for that for you. And God has taken this burden of prayer upon himself. We don't know what we should pray for. He does. And he does it. He prays for us. Side note. Okay, why then should we pray? Right? Is it, is it like already being done? What's the point of us praying? Why do we do that? The Holy Spirit's deep intercession for us proves to us that prayer is part of how God loves to do things. He would rather be asked for something and then respond to it than just give it without being asked. Either by us, asked by us, or asked by the Holy Spirit. He prefers that because that's a relationship in that request. There's interaction, there's connection, intimacy, trust. God wants that with you, and that's why he ordains prayer. He says that your prayers actually move his heart. The Holy Spirit's prayers actually move his heart. Not because he doesn't, didn't want to give it to you in the first place. He just wanted that interaction. So does prayer change our hearts? Yeah, it does. But it also moves God's heart. It's the way his heart is. Last important thing to wrap this first point up. As the Holy Spirit intercedes, you can kind of imagine it being like, you know, sometimes when we pray, I think we all feel like you're kind of trying to get God to do something that maybe he doesn't want to do. Like, okay, maybe if I pray hard enough, he'll like change his mind and do it. We shouldn't imagine that as what the Holy Spirit's doing because God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're perfectly united, right? There's no discord of like the Holy Spirit wanting something for you, but God the Father not wanting something for you. You can imagine it like this. I mean, James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Like, just picture my wife and I, Christmas time, we love giving our kids gifts. It's so fun. You know, like, we'll go over budget every time. Because <laughs> we love giving our kids good gifts that they enjoy. God loves giving gifts to you. He loves doing that. And even as I might be like, hey, Mary, I just heard Judah say that what he really wants for Christmas is a dragon, which was last year. And Mary's like, okay, awesome, let's go get it for him. Like, God is conspiring to give you these good things that he wants you to have. That's good news, you guys. That's really good news. Like, what God is going to do in your life does not depend on you knowing what you should pray for. I love that. Okay. Second point. The golden chain. So, the next passage leads us into one of many implications of the constant and heartfelt intercession of the Holy Spirit for us. 
Okay, so what is one of those implications? Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, I mean, like, honestly, you could preach two sermons on this one little chunk right here. These verses describe something theologians refer to sometimes as the golden chain. Because each of five key words in this passage describes a powerfully gracious and lovingly consecutive action that is linked together. And it's God does each of these things towards each of his people. And the five words are, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Five links, the golden chain. And Paul helps us understand like what's going on with this chain here with the context of verse 28. It says, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I want you to notice that the group of people being referred to is being referred to as those. And over and over in this section, all those, all those, all those, all those, like those. Some group of people referred to as those. Every descriptor in the passage refers to the same group of people. Who are they? I mean, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's talking about adoption in God's family. It's talking about being a Christian. When you're converted, you're brought into God's family, adopted, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. If you're Jesus' brother, you're adopted by God the Father. Okay, so this is talking about every Christian is all those. Every true believer is all those. So notice this. Whatever it is that foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified refer to, we'll see what those things are in a second. They're all part of God's core purpose to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the point. That's what it said. To put it a different way, the golden chain is how Jesus Christ tethers you to the anchor of himself. It's how Jesus ties you, anchors you to himself. So what are these links of the golden chain and how are they connected? Quick note, I'm going to explain this as like, myself, who is a Reformed pastor. <laughs> I, I'm a part of this big umbrella of Reformed theology. And like there's people in this room that you would not consider yourself Reformed. And that's okay. Because we're here for everybody who wants to investigate what it looks like to follow Jesus. And you can faithfully follow Jesus and disagree with me about some of the details of this passage. So I just want to say that at the outset. If you hear something that you're like, I disagree, that's okay. We can talk about that later. We also don't have to, if you don't want to. But like, just knowing this, like the Reformed and Reformed University Fellowship is like on display here tonight. So here we go. Every single link of the golden chain for new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Let's go through them one by one, people. Here we go. Okay. For new. We see from the later links of the chain that those whom he foreknew are people that he saves. Those that he saves. God knew them and he knew that he would save them before they were born. That's the point. He knows who's he going to save. Ephesians 1 says this happens, this foreknowledge happens before the foundation of the world. So, a long time ago. God held them in his mind, loved them, his chosen people, the ones he saves, and he saved them, chose to save them. The best human parallel, I think, is, um, so like, parents before their kids are born, 
So I remember when Mary was uh, pregnant with um, our two twins, like our first two kids at the same time, which is nuts, by the way. <laughs> you're like looking at the belly and you can see like an elbow over here and a hand over here and a foot poking out of here. Like, wait a second. <laughs> That's more than one child. And in that, as you see that, those babies in that belly, you're talking to them, you know? And uh, I swear when they came out, they could already hear, understand my voice. Like they knew my voice already because already before your kids come out before they're born you know them there's a space in your mind that's like that's my kid i already love that kid even though i don't know its name i don't know if it's a boy or girl we didn't find out the gender i didn't know if it was a boy or girl but they had a spot in my mind similar thing it's actually better than that god's foreknowledge and love is deeper than that of a parent for a child isaiah 49 15 says but the lord says can a woman forget her baby answer no can she forget the child who came from her body? No. Even if she can forget her children, even if she could, I cannot forget you. Even if a mother forgets her child, God's never going to forget you because he knows you. He has known you from before the beginning of the world. He's known that he would save you. An alternative understanding of this word, like I disagree with this, but it's an alternative that some of you here may uh, hold, would be that before the foundation of the world, God looked ahead into the future and he saw who would choose him by faith. He saw who would come to faith. And kind of on that basis, he was like, okay, they chose me. I'm going to choose them. I foreknow them in that sense. And like I said, you can be a faithful Christian and believe that. However, I don't think it makes sense of this passage or the only other five occurrences of this word in Scripture because none of them mention the faith of the person who's foreknown. And in fact, the only other occurrence of this word in Romans is specifically talking about people who don't have faith at all. People who are lost, who are not saved at all. Okay, so if you believe this and I just offended you and you want to talk about it, let's talk. Come up afterward, we can talk. It doesn't have to be heated. It'll be great. Uh, enough said. First link of the chain is that before you existed, God knew you and loved you and chose to save you. Okay. Second point. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. This means God destines people before they were born for salvation. Ephesians 1, 3-6 puts it pretty well. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the will of God, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. So the implication of this is you do not arrive at the cross under your own power. However you get there, whatever that moment was like for you, whether you were four years old or it was three weeks ago when you came to faith, this is saying you were destined for that. Did you choose it? Of course you chose it. You still have free will, but God destined you for that decision. Honestly, we might not like this. How dare God destined me for anything, right? Like I would have not consulted. I did not give my consent. And I'm kind of joking about that, but this would be kind of like if, uh, let's say, a, little, a baby, an infant, is adopted out of an abusive and neglectful home and raised by this wonderful family, wealthy, super loving, caring home. And then when they learn at like five or six years old that they're adopted, they're like outraged. Like, how dare you adopt me? You never asked me, mom and dad. That'd be crazy, right? Wouldn't make any sense. The kid might actually feel that way, honestly. They might feel that way. But all of us would agree like it was better for the kid that they were adopted, brought out of that home without prior consent, even though they weren't consulted. Okay.
I know there's like maybe 300 other questions about predestination and we can talk about all of those. Honestly, I love talking about it. I think it shows who Jesus is and like his goodness in some really beautiful ways. So let's talk. But this passage keeps going. We're going to keep going. Those whom he foreknew and predestined, he also called. Called to what? It says, called according to his purpose, called to salvation, called to love God and be conformed to the image of his son. This is, this is pretty cool, right? God's foreknowledge and predestination of his people doesn't take away our agency. You don't call to somebody who can't respond. It actually, his calling actually gives us back our agency. In calling us, he makes people who were dead in sin alive in Christ. He sets slaves free. He gives sight to the blind, making us aware of our sin and our need and of Jesus, convicting us of sin, giving us faith and repentance so that we can respond to his call. Ephesians 2 says, all these things are the gift of God. He gives them to us. We don't make them up on our own. We can't boast about it. That's what Ephesians 2 says. And he gives this to us when he calls us. So that now, as saved people, given life by the Spirit, we can freely respond to the will of God. We can choose him, love him, obey him, live our entire lives for him. Okay, those whom he foreknew and predestined and called, he also justified. Real quick here, we dug into this a few weeks ago. To be justified is given all the perfect righteousness of Jesus and declared righteous by God in the instant that you're converted. Declared righteous, that's justified. Last one, those whom he foreknew and predestined and called and justified, he also glorified. So this one's in the future. When Jesus comes back is when we'll be glorified. It means becoming exactly the person that God has created you to be and living in this world that's been remade into the world that it's exactly as God intended it to be, which is going to be awesome, and being with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect communion, which you were made for, and it's going to be incredible. That's glorified. There's like a million things about that that are going to be awesome that we can't even comprehend yet. That's what it's talking about. And it happens when Jesus comes back. We don't have that yet. But notice that it's so linked to what comes before. It's so bound in this chain that like Paul's talking about it as though it's already happened. He said, you've already been glorified. Paul speaks of it in the past tense. Like it's so definitely going to happen, it's as though it has already happened. So that's the golden chain. Notice two things. So if you kind of dozed off, I know it's a little theologically, that's okay. Back with me. Two things I want you to know about this chain, right? Number one, actually there's three, sorry. Not two, there's three. First one, every link in the chain is applied to every Christian. It doesn't say like, and then some of the people that were called don't actually get justified, but they, something else happens. But then it's like, and those who, and those who, and those who, the whole time, one group of people. So those whom he foreknew, he also predestined and called and so on. God uses, he applies every link of the chain to every Christian. That's cool. Notice that. Two, the golden chain stretches across eternity. I kind of love this one. Like, think about it. Foreknowledge, God's foreknowledge, happens before the foundation of the world. That's a long time ago. That's outside of time, actually. Glorified happens when Jesus comes back. Future, we don't know how long. But then it also lasts, like, into eternity and the chain every other link in the chain predestined called uh what was the what did, what did i miss predestined called justified they happen in the intervening period like right now in our lives so like this chain is god reaching across all eternity to link you to himself even before you're aware of it that's nuts i love it okay last one god's saving purposes for you are way bigger than the moment of your conversion all right there's a moment when we come awake to God, we're like, holy smokes, 
Jesus exists and I'm his. This is awesome. And for us, it feels like the beginning. And God's like, that's cool for it to feel like that for you. But like, I've been here the whole time. And I've been linking you and drawing you. I've got plans for you that have existed so much larger than this one moment. I think that's kind of cool. That's comforting as we think about what the Christian life is. The golden chain tethers you forever to the God who loves you. And that's where our passage culminates here. Final point. Shortest point. A different kind of love. This love that we find here is different than any other kind of love that we have access to in our lives. Verse 38. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul hits every dimension you can think of. Did you notice this? Death, life, angels, spiritual beings, rulers like Caesar, kings, Alexander the Great, past things, future things, powers, political, social, spiritual, cosmic powers, height, depth, and then the blanket statement, in case you can think of like anything else that you think he maybe didn't quite cover, he says, anything else in all creation, none of it can separate you from God's love for you. This is the reason the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, because God loves you. This is the reason God has forged this golden chain that is stronger than iron to link every Christian to himself forever, because he loves you. So listen, guys, you can rest. You can rest in this love. I know that so often we get caught up as Christians or people who are considering Christianity with like how we're failing and how our failures and sins maybe threaten our relationship with God or mean that we're not quite good enough yet or make us kind of feel too guilty to show up to this meeting or to RUF or to church. And this is saying... Like, notice what is not present in these verses. <laughs> how you feel about how good of a person you are is not mentioned. It does not factor into the equation of God's love for you and how he tethers you to himself. So as you prepare for a test this week, you're studying as a child of God, loved by him. He's praying for you. And he'll cause every possible outcome, whether it's a failed test, which for some of you is like, for some of you is like, no, it's actually the worst possible outcome. Even a failed test. He would use that, believe it or not, for your good. Can you believe that? This is what it's saying. And even stuff way worse than a failed test. As you navigate the pain of loneliness, for some of you, the pain of loneliness, in your loneliness, you are still God's child, tethered to Him in each lonely hour. And the Holy Spirit is praying that the Father will give you exactly what you need to make it through, to sustain he loves you even when you're lonely. If you're here tonight and you've never known safety like that, and even hearing it talked about, you're like, that kind of sounds like too good to be true. Is it true? If you've never known eternal security, the kind of solid ground that doesn't depend on your own work to build it or maintain it, then just believe this good news tonight, guys. God invites you to become his child. He invites you to become his child, to be treated like this. By believing that Jesus Christ has won this for you, that he's done it, he won it for you, and turn from everything else you got going on, all the other sin, which is your best bet at you know, kind of making it through this life okay, turning from that to Jesus. That's how you become his adopted child. Somebody here is thinking, like, well, yeah, but like, what if I turn back? What if I turn from my sin tonight, but then I turn back to it tomorrow night? Like, does that negate 
The God whose love forms bands stronger than iron and more beautiful than gold. He can handle your sin. He can handle your sin. It's his problem. He made it his problem. He can deal with it. He can forgive it. He can sanctify you from it. He can give you the power to fight against it. Your sin is his problem. He made it his problem when he died for you. That you might become his child. So don't think about tomorrow. Think about tonight. Confess your sin tonight. Turn from it to Jesus tonight. And ask that God will help you turn from your sin today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter. Wherever you're at tonight, you know, whatever you're thinking about the rest of your week, what I want you to hear is that the love of God for you is so much more than just an emotion. Like we feel towards people that we love. And that's great. And sometimes we match it with actions, and that's great. Sometimes they do that for us. But God has been acting out, living out his love for you before you were ever aware of it. And he'll continue into eternity because he loves you that much. Love and action. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us so much better than we can find anywhere else. Definitely better than we love ourselves. And so Jesus, I just ask that you would help make this love a reality in our emotions, in our actions, that it would change the way we live, in our thoughts, the way we think about ourselves and you, that the main feature of what we conceive of Christianity being is just being extravagantly, boldly, actively, faithfully, eternally loved by Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.